This week was Genesis 41 through 44. And, you know, I have this challenge every time I read the Torah portion because we've done the Torah portions before, and there's, like I said, there's always a challenge, like what to pick and what to say, you know, that would be different from something that you've um, already heard. Praise God for the spirit of the living God. Otherwise, you'd be hearing the same things. God is faithful. And um, so, and I love when he, you know, he makes his word come alive. And there isn't anything in scripture that we read that we can't apply to our day or apply to us personally in some way, shape, or form. And that really is the beauty of scripture because we talk all the time about how we'll read like a psalm or we'll read a chapter in, in, I don't know, Deuteronomy. And all of a sudden, God just speaks to us an amazing thing. And we've read the same passage a dozen times or maybe a hundred times. And so um, I'm always amazed at, you know, at the goodness of God and how it's his desire for us to grow in our understanding of his word and in how we apply it to our lives, which is actually the understanding of it. So I'm actually going to read um, a lot of uh, Genesis 41. And, um, you know, just bear with me for a second, because I have some, like, scattered notes, and I, I don't want to forget. Okay. So, um, you know, if you are able, I think I'm going to ask if you'd stand for the reading of the word. Um, I'm going to start in verse 1 of chapter 41. Lord, we... Just thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And you command us in your word to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. And so we take these, um, these words to heart, Lord. And I pray, even though you may have shown me certain things in the scripture, even while I'm reading it or speaking about it, I pray for each one here or, or anyone who will be listening at some point to this, that you, O oh God, in your majesty and sovereignty would speak your truth to each person who is reading or each person who is listening, O oh God, because it's not about what I say, although my prayer is that what I speak would be your words spoken through my voice. And we, we thank you for your word because it is rich, O oh Lord. We have this rich inheritance, so we bless you for it, Lord, and just bless this reading, O oh God, and again, allow your spirit to speak through me. Let them not be my words. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. So I should say those two full years are two years that passed from the time that Joseph interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker. Two years went by, he asked to be remembered to Pharaoh, and two years went by and not a word was said. So that's why it says, then it came to pass at the end of two full years. It's kind of like the therefore in scripture, if you get my drift. <laughs> Um, then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. 
and the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed, it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And that is the first thing that, you know, that struck me was Joseph's humility. Even though he was correct in the interpretation of the dreams that went before, he never puffed himself up, but instead gave all the glory to God. It is not in me. It is not in any of us. Anything that we do for the kingdom comes from the Lord. Verse 17, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. And so I awoke. Also, I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after, after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. And then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. In other words, both of these dreams are the same. And he says, God has shown Pharaoh what he, has about to, what he is about to do. I immediately thought of a scripture from Amos. God not only shows Pharaoh, he shows his prophets. In Amos 3, 7 and 8, 
we read this. Surely the Lord God does nothing until he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And so Joseph, a prophet, like a prophet, he's a dreamer of dreams, isn't he? Isn't that what his brother called him? His brothers called him a dreamer of dreams. But the Lord anointed him to understand what the Lord was saying. The Lord revealed his secret to Joseph. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. The dreams are one. They are the same. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads of grain blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. God is merciful. He is merciful to the nations. He's merciful to Israel, but he's also merciful to the peoples of the lands, the Gentiles, the Greeks. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, seven years of famine will rise, will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. In other words, all the good days will be forgotten. The years of plenty will be totally forgotten because the famine is so severe. And the dream was repeated, verse 32, and the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because this thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. The number two is foundation and establishment. This is established by God because he basically spoke it twice. A little similar, a little different, but saying the same thing. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. You know, what I love about how God works is he gives the warning about the famine and then he gives the instruction for the preparation of what should happen while there's seven years of plenty. It's not like Joseph says, well, here's the interpretation. Good luck with that. God has placed in Joseph the wisdom for the preparation for those seven years of famine. God doesn't leave us orphans. God doesn't leave us without an answer. We may have to pray for years for an answer, but God's purposes are never thwarted. And he will bring revelation to whatever it is that we're going through. And he will give us a strategy, just like he gave a strategy to Pharaoh through Joseph. Because this wasn't a dream. 
He was no longer interpreting a dream. He did what he came to do. But God said, here is the rest of the story. God is faithful in giving us the rest of the story. So in verse 37, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this? A man in whom is the spirit of God. When I think of what Joseph said, I imagine not what he said, but how he said it. How he said it with authority and how he said it with compassion. I don't, you know, we don't hear the voice of Joseph as we read this, but we know Joseph's character. And in knowing Joseph's character, we can imagine how he said this with great authority, but yet with great compassion, because there would be great troubles coming on the land with a famine this bad. So Pharaoh recognizes that it's the Spirit of God in Joseph. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. What an incredible commission to Joseph. But my my interpretation of this particular verse is this, that Pharaoh had confidence that when he said, all my people shall be ruled according to your word, he knew it wouldn't be Joseph's word. He knew it would be the spirit of God's word, which is why he was so willing to put Joseph in charge of all of the storehouse. In verse 41, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. Isn't that just like God? He's planning an incredibly harsh famine. And he's causing the land to bring forth abundantly. Not just the normal harvest, but an abundant harvest. So that there would be plenty in the storehouses. So Joseph gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt. He laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea. And he stopped counting for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. The name Manasseh means making forgetful. And the name of the second son he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And actually Ephraim means two things. It does mean fruitfulness, but it also means a double portion. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, 
The people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. Amen. You may be seated. So what we see here is that it was God's will and plan to make his word and what was to happen in the future known to one man to whom he also gave the strategy to avert disaster. And so it says the famine was in all of the countries and all of the countries needed to come to Egypt to buy grain for bread. That included the people of Canaan, which included Joseph's brothers. But we're not going to go there because hopefully you've read all of that. Um, the Lord had just placed on my heart um, something about famine and something about preparation. One of the things, I'm going to skip to the end of Genesis, because one of the things that I want to point out about God's ways was something that it took Joseph a while to learn and understand. When his father Jacob died in the land of Egypt, and he took his body back to be buried in the land of Canaan, um, he his brothers came to him because they were afraid that now that their father was gone, that Joseph would mete out retribution against them for what they had done. But because God had given Joseph wisdom and understanding, he said these words to his brothers. You meant this for evil. What you did, you meant for evil. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. So the whole point in God orchestrating the feast and then the famine was for the salvation of many people. And if we don't know why we're going through something, I don't want to say the answer is always because God is using it for good to bring about the salvation of many people. But I think if we look back at the times in our lives when we were in that crucible, I believe we can see that either our witness or our words became a testimony that brought others to faith. And so in light of that, um, this, this is really what God spoke to me. That God still works in dreams and visions. And one of the scriptures he put on my heart was also from, from Amos. It's Amos 8. When God says, 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. There will be a famine of the word of God upon the land. And we know there's a famine already in our land. And why do we know that? Because there's a famine of righteousness. And I'm just talking about in our country. We know it, it's multiplied everywhere. It's in many countries. There's a famine of righteousness. There's a famine of holiness. And there's a famine of the knowledge of the word of God. So we are already in the midst of a famine. And we don't want to get caught up in that famine. And you know, it's possible, even as a believer, to get caught up in a famine. Do you know that it's possible? So how would we avoid the famine of righteousness, a famine of holiness, and a famine of the knowledge of God? How would we avoid that? Joyce. Absolutely. And Hillary? Also, you know, what comes to my mind is uh, not letting your lampstands run out of oil. Yes. There's seven, seven candles in the lampstand and the famine lasted for seven years. Yes, yes. So always be, you know, keyed in to the spirit of the living God for his holy oil to keep renewing us. Yes, Drew? Right. Yeah, amen. 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 Yes. Right. And you know what's important about your contribution is that it's not always about us. It's not always about us being fed. It's not always about us you know, let me do this so that I will not suffer the famine. You know, the greatest way to not suffer a famine is to give out. When we were doing the, um, the Goshen thing, and we were um, storing up food, and, and I think it was because there was a Shemitah coming, and there was a threat of, you know, another crash and that kind of thing. And so... One of the things that we all agreed was that it was not having the food in our houses to feed our family. It was making the pot of food to take out to the end of our driveway or our front door or whatever and feed the neighbors. And I think that's key, is that we have to be prepared and ready to give out as well as to do everything that everyone else said. That's All of that is important, but we have to be ready to give out. And sometimes, and I forget who said this, I think it was St. Augustine, he said, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. It's about how our, we live our lives. If we never said a word about the Lord, would someone be able to tell that we are a person of faith by the things we do, by the things we say, by our attitudes? 
these are all like, you know, like John was talking about that list in Philippians 4. Well, yeah, we, we need to have that internal list as far as what we think, what we say, what we do. Our, action, you know, our actions and our attitudes speak volumes to the people around us. And if our walk doesn't match our talk, it kind of cancels it out. And so this is all part of our, our preparation. Yesterday... Um, when I said earlier that God speaks in dreams and visions still, um, I know most of us believe that. Uh, yesterday, for our prayer in the morning, we all received a copy of a, um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, just a portion of it. We received a copy of a dream that the Lord had given to Rick Joyner in 2014. It was September of 2014. And I remember reading it and just being pretty much in total shock what I was reading. So what, um, what he talked about was the um, people coming over our border, invading our land, and they didn't have good thoughts towards us as a people. But I want to read to you just very quickly just a portion of the dream. He said, the dream began with a gang that crossed our border to attack a ranch in Texas. They herded together everyone on the ranch, about 20 in all, including family and workers. There were several children. Then with diabolical cruelty, they raped and tortured them. Then they killed them all in the most cruel, diabolical way imaginable. What they did to the children was the worst of all. Then they left with great excitement and celebration to attack another ranch. This was done in broad daylight. They did not seem at all concerned that they might be caught. This, this was a dream that he had in 2014. But almost word for word, it's exactly what happened in Israel. And the way I look at this is that, you know, Jonathan Kahn has always said that the United States parallels Israel. It is already here. And this is not to project any fear. Remember, God gave to Joseph the plan. So we read things like this, and we should not become fearful. Instead, we, I'm going to read some of the prayer points from yesterday. Instead, we need to grow in faith every day, not fear. We need to grow in love every day, not fear. We are to grow in the peace of God every day, not anger. Then the joy of the Lord will be our strength. So if, if you're wondering, well, what kind of strategy would we need for the days ahead? It's all in here. Everything that we need to know. John gave a great plug for the Bible study. And, you know, that's part of our preparation too. You know, one of the things about being in Bible study and coming to service, you know, we, we 
know that scripture, iron sharpens iron. And even in our prayer meetings, you know, it's about, you know, hearing one another and kind of feeding off one another and being corrected and being encouraged. And this is so important. We are going to need each other even more than we do now. That's part of our preparation. Um, Richard, did you read Psalm 133 this morning? Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. It is like the oil flowing down on, the, on Aaron, the priest. This pleases God. And God says that it's there that he commands the blessing. In unity, it's there in the unity that God commands blessing upon us. But we have to choose to live in unity. We have to choose to not complain. We have to choose to not gossip. We have to choose to love. We have to choose to overlook one another's faults. We have to choose to prefer one another. We have to choose. And guess who the choice is up to? It's not like, I uh, can't remember that comedian, Flip, Mar Flip, Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it? Not hardly. You have a choice. We all have choices. And so God gives us his word so that we are able to make the right choice. And God gives us options. We have a new Bible study starting. We're going to be looking at the awe of God as a follow-up to the fear of God that we did in the spring. And that was a follow-up to the last day's survival guide, which we did earlier in the winter, which was a follow-up to the return of the gods, which we did back in November. All of these things are preparation. It's almost like a one book, but all these chapters. Because I learned more weapons as I read these books and followed along and listened to the discussions. This is part of our arsenal. And speaking of arsenal... I happened to um, watch a movie last week. As a matter of fact, it was on the first night of Hanukkah. It might have seemed like an odd thing to watch on the first night of Hanukkah. It was a World War II movie. It was about the battle for Okinawa. And it was um, pretty much centered around a young man named Desmond Doss. It's probably a name that you wouldn't hear. It's not like General Bradley or General Patton or any of the others. This is an unsung hero who had, I guess, his moment in the, in the limelight when this movie came out. And um, he signed up to fight in World War II because he didn't want someone else fighting for him. The problem is... He already knew he would never took up, take up a weapon. He was a conscientious objector. And so he was a conscientious objector because of his faith in God. And also circumstances in his life contributed to him not ever wanting to pick up a weapon. 
So, this story is remarkable, but I want to really cut to the chase because he ended up serving as a medic and he never did carry a weapon the whole time he was in the war. So, before the actual Battle of Okinawa, there was another battle and it was called Hacksaw Ridge and that was also the name of the movie. I want to issue a disclaimer. It is rated R because it is one of the most violent war movies I had ever seen. I had to watch it through my sweater because um, I, I actually saw it once and vowed I would never see it again. But um, my grandson wanted to watch it, my older grands, the oldest grandson, not the little ones. And I thought, you know, for him I will watch it again. And so I watched most of it behind my sweater. And when I saw that there was nothing bad on the screen, I could, then I could watch it, um, you know, without any obstruction. So he was in the midst of this incredibly ferocious battle um, in which many, many, many of his fellow soldiers died and many, many, many were wounded. It was so bad. And we were losing, and they called for a retreat. They were going to retreat and regroup. They were all supposed to leave the ridge. One man stayed behind, and that was Desmond Doss. He stayed behind. He stayed behind because he was a medic. Yes, there were still Japanese that were looking for people that weren't dead yet to kill them. So what this man did is he looked for anyone that had any hope of survival. And he did what he could to patch them up right then and there. And then he carried them to the edge of the precipice. And he let them down by himself, one by one, by a rope. He ended up saving the lives of 75 men by himself. I'm sorry? Yes. And so, I want to share with you the part in the movie that so pierced my heart. You see that he has gotten, I don't know how many men. They just show him dragging the men as best he can to the, you know, to the ridge and letting them down with a rope over the edge. And then you hear him say this prayer. Please, Lord, give me one more. Let me have one more. And God let him have one more to the tune of 75 men. He did this single-handedly. Why did he do it? God gave him the strength, and he was true to his conviction to not take another life. Yes, God permits killing in war. We know that. But because of the circumstances of this man's life, he decided that he was not going to take up a weapon. And instead of taking lives, he would save lives. So as I was thinking about all of this, um, I want to tell you that at the end of the war, he was never ever wounded. 
and he served in several battlefields. Never wounded, and he ultimately received the Congressional Medal of Honor by Harry Truman. And these were his words when he received the medal. He said, I feel that I received the Congressional Medal of Honor because I kept the golden rule that we read in Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Um, I'd love for you to watch the movie, but do so with caution. It is, it's a pretty hard movie to watch. But what does this have in connection with what we read about the famine and preparation? Well, this is part of our preparation. And when I thought about that movie as I was thinking about our preparation, I thought, just as I said earlier, Desmond Doss was in a ferocious battle. We are in a ferocious battle. We are in a ferocious battle. And we are medics of sorts. We are spiritual medics. And God has allowed us in our daily walks to find the wounded and to treat them just as Desmond Doss treated the men with whatever he had in his bag. We are supposed to be looking for the wounded, for those people with broken souls, and we are supposed to bring healing to them. And just as in the famine, the people went to Egypt because we, they knew there was bread in the land, we have the eternal bread within us. And this is the bread. This is the bread that we feed those wounded that come into our lives. This is the bread we feed to the broken souls that come across our path in our everyday lives. And this is what our prayer should be every day. Please, Lord, let me have just one more. Because when we get to heaven, it won't be all about us. God will say, who did you bring with you? Please, Lord, let me have one more today. Just for today, just one more. Please, Lord, let me have one more. And when we fulfill that great commission that Yeshua gave to all those who follow him, this is where there's a difference between us and Desmond Doss. He received the Congressional Medal of Honor. He also received something else. We will receive the crown. The crown of righteousness, the crown of life, and the crown of glory. Just like he received when he went to glory. And we will receive those crowns from the one who wore the crown of thorns for us because he is now seated at the right hand of God, victorious. He is no longer the lamb. He is the lion of Judah. And he is coming back as the lion of Judah. And I pray that the harvest that we're responsible for will be plentiful, like the seven years 
of plenty in Egypt. That we will finish our race victorious and bringing with us many souls who otherwise would be broken and wounded but for the bread of life, Yeshua. So Lord, we are just so grateful for your word. We are grateful, Lord, that in your very word, we see our own lives, oh God. We see that we have a choice to be forgiving as Joseph was forgiving. To have the attitude that Joseph had, don't even think anything about what you did because God turned it for good. God used it to bring many to life, physical life, spiritual life. And like Joseph, may we be the men and women in whom the Spirit of God lives and moves and has his being. So that like Pharaoh, others will recognize that the Spirit of the living God is alive and well in us because of what we say, because of what we do, because of how we say it, and because of how we do it. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord, because you can create in us the will to do your good pleasure, and you will equip us to do your good pleasure. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you that we have eternal life because of his death and his resurrection. The bread of life. He is our bread of life. And as he himself said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We want to live by your every word, O oh God. Give us eyes to see those wounded souls around us today. And please, God, let us have one more. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen.